your field is our office. I'm field agronomist Ashley Storby, and with me is field agronomist Jay Zilski. Jay, how are you doing this morning? Ashley, I'm fantastic. This morning I was on the road a little after 5.30, and you know, I love the month of June because the sun was already out at about quarter to quarter to six. I thought, ah, this is great. <laughs> we got a heat wave on the way. Uh, that's going to get this crop in gear. You know, I, I did a quick calculation in my head. We're probably going to get over the next week, probably get over 150 heat units, which is going to be good to get this crop going because, uh, you know, if we're going to meet that uh, knee high by the 4th of July uh, criteria, we got to get this crop in gear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's going to be a tall order in some situations. And I always figure that knee high is kind of like a bare minimum, but, you know, we got uh, a little bit of precipitation the other day here to prime the pump to help that crop grow faster. And Ashley, I know it's been a little dry down your way. Now that's everybody, the dirty little secret is even though Ashley's an agronomist for us in Southeast Minnesota, she actually lives in Lake Mills, Iowa, and they have had kind of a dry stretch there, Ashley. So tell me, did you know, how are things looking down there before we get on with the rest of the show here? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we caught enough moisture yesterday just to settle the dust, but there was still plenty of field work going on. My husband was side dressing. There was some spraying going on. And even on the South part of my territory into Minnesota, there was still field work going on in Freeborn County. They missed the, the lion's share of that rain. And then as you headed to the North, then we were out, um, there were standing areas of standing water. So that's a little disappointing for those guys, but we were, we were moving down here. Um, I have noticed at least at, at home, um, in a, in a farm that is, has missed rains that we were starting to see a little bit of potassium deficiency, which is one of the nutrients that we tend to see deficiency symptoms from the earliest in droughty conditions, because the plant uptakes that nutrient via diffusion. So it's got to move with water uptake. Um, and it, it, the areas that I saw the deficiency happen to correlate with um, areas of the field that I know were lower testing in, in potassium. So that was interesting. Um, you mentioned that we're going to accumulate maybe over a hundred GDUs this week. I hadn't done the math, but that's really exciting. But the math I have done I was looking at how many GDUs we need to push a leaf in corn um, between now and V10 before we get into that accelerated rapid um, growth period. And, and we need about 85 GDUs to push a leaf. So we'll get a whole leaf accumulated this week. Um, but otherwise things are looking, looking pretty good. Lots of just patching in, um, replant getting done in the area um, and just a busy week, side dressing, spraying. So should be should be a good week for getting things done. No, Ashley, and, and you know, I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, when we kind of schedule this show, kind of anticipate, I always pride myself in trying to have a podcast that's timely to what's going on. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think we hit it pretty close, Ashley. A week ago, I saw a few people making some side dress applications of nitrogen. You know, I almost felt like pull up and say, hey, stop, wait a second, you got to listen to our podcast. <laughs> but it was good to see them going. And so, uh, Ashley and, and listeners, uh, you know, today's uh, podcast, we're really going to focus on discussion about in-season applications of nitrogen um, in, in corn. And as I said, there have been a few made already, but I know there's quite a few to be uh, made in the uh, days and, and weeks ahead here. And, and our guest today is Jeff Vetch of the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Waseca. And uh, Jeff, why don't we start out with you sharing your background and your role in the research you do um, at Waseca? Hi, Jay. 
So yeah, I grew up on a farm in Southeast Minnesota. Uh, I attended the U of M at Waseca back in the 80s before transferring to the St. Paul campus. I got my bachelor's and master's in soil science at the U of M. Um, I've worked here at the SROC since 1993 uh, as initially as a support scientist for Giles Randall and since uh, the last 12 years as the, the research lead in the soil fertility department here. My research expertise, as you know, is in nitrogen management, but I've also worked with P and K and sulfur and tillage and cropping systems, pretty much everything that, that's involved here in South Central Minnesota. Well, uh, Jeff, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to be celebrating my 30 years with the uh, Pioneer in a couple of weeks. And you, what you're just a year away from being 30 years at the Southern Research and Outreach Center. I didn't, I didn't remember you being there that long. Did, did you have hair when you started? Like I used to have hair when I started with Pioneer. Did you have hair when you started at, at S-Rock or not? Oh, oh, if you knew me back then, Jay, I had the long 80s hair. So, and it <laughs> was right. bright white blonde for a few years too. All right. Well, real good, Jeff. Thank you very much. And really looking forward to our discussion this morning. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, uh, Jeff, as we talk about in-season nitrogen and side dress nitrogen applications, I remember a number of years back, a lot of folks saying, okay, this is going to be the trend. We're going to start to see more in-season applications of nitrogen, more side dress nitrogen. And in me, I was thinking, you know, with the scale of our farming operations, are, are we really going to be able to get it, they're getting bigger and bigger. Are we going to be able to get across all these fields in a timely fashion to get things done? And of course, you know, where I failed in, in my logic was, you know, I underestimated the potential of equipment manufacturers and such to be able to scale things up to, to meet those demands. And so, you know, it seems to me, Jeff, that now, you know, over the last five to seven years, there's been a growing interest and momentum surrounding those in-season applications of a nitrogen, whether it be side dress or top dress applications. And so, you know, one of the fun things about having a podcast is I get to ask somebody else the questions <laughs> that I get asked. And so farmers often say to me, Jay, should I be looking at changing my nitrogen program to include some in-season nitrogen applications? So Jeff, I ask you the same question. Should farmers be changing their nitrogen program to include some in-season nitrogen applications? Yeah, Jay, I get that question a lot too. And usually I, I, push it back on the grower and I ask them these questions first. First I ask, as you said, do you have time to side dress? Because it takes time and it has to be done in a timely fashion. I mean, and you got to try to do it in good field condition. Um, the next question I'd ask them is, do they have lighter soils or coarse textured areas of their field? Uh, in some of the fields or more fields, you know, those are the areas that are going to respond to side dress. And then I'd ask them, do you apply all or most of your nitrogen fertilizer or manure in the fall? And then finally, I'd say, do you have fields that have poor or inadequate drainage? If they answer yes to two or more, two of these questions, I'd say they probably should consider doing some in-season and application. If they answer to three or yes to three or more questions, then they probably should be doing it. And then if they answer to yes to four or more questions, then they'll probably actually make money doing it. That's, well, that's, a, joke. that's a soil fertility joke. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that, that's, you know, I've never heard it laid out that way, uh, Jeff. I really, really like that. So it's, do you have the time to do it? And do you have some coarse textured soils? Um, or is all or most of your nitrogen or manure applied in the fall? And then uh, 
you have poor drainage, uh, you know, some fields uh, prone to loss. So, I mean, so, you know, and I guess the question, next question is, so then is there, is there a consistent yield advantage to citrus applications of nitrogen and corn? How do you answer that one, Jeff? Yeah, so I think I, I go back on some research that I've seen, and one is this large multi-state study that was actually partially funded by Pioneer, and it was published by Jason Clark and others in recent years. And in that study, they only found that split end application compared to a single end pre-plant application changed plant uptake or yield only 15% of the time. That wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a really exciting news. The split end applications had greater yields in areas of the field where we kind of expected, um, in areas that were coarse textured and also poor, poor drainage. And it also, they found that it had, uh, you needed that timely precip after application and around the time of application to get it activated and get it functioning. Now in a 20 site year study that I've done in Southeast Minnesota, um, I found that I found a response to a significant yield response to split applications in five out of 20 site years or about 25% of the time. Three of those five were in poorly drained soils and two of them were in well-drained lust soils. So it, again, it goes at that, well, we think the well-drained soils are gonna have more leaching, but I think what we're really seeing is it leans more towards the soils that are more likely to denitrify is where we might have the, the potential for benefit. And then in a smaller study I did here at SROC, I found a two-thirds fall ammonia application with one-third B6 urea was better two site years in a row than putting all the N on as fall, as fall ammonia. However, if you put it, everything on and spring it application, that was just as good as the split. So again, it goes back to the timing factor and, and balancing that timing. So. so those are some of the research data that I've got, both local and regional, that I think helps support that. Yeah, you can get better yields, but it's definitely not a slam dunk in medium and fine textured soils. It is a slam dunk in coarse textured soils. So Jeff, let me go back to what you said. I want to make sure I, I understand this uh, completely. So it, it was the comment about um, 100% of nitrogen applied in the fall compared to putting a portion on in the fall and some in the spring. Is, is, that, what, is, that, is that what I heard you say? Yeah, and that study, that study I compared all ammonia or all the end rate applied as ammonia in the fall with an inhibitor versus taking two thirds in the fall and putting on a third in the spring as a side dress. And then how, how, how often were you then seeing a, a positive response from doing that? That was a two year study and it, and it was better in both years. Okay, in, interesting, interesting. Cause one of the things, and I know Ashley's got a question she wants to ask here, but before she does, the, the one thing I, I, I know I always shared with folks is that when we look at fall nitrogen applications, if you're going to put 100% of your nitrogen on in the fall, there's, there's almost never a yield advantage to fall nitrogen. And oftentimes there's actually a disadvantage to putting 100% of your nitrogen on in the fall of the year. And so uh, this kind of kind of speaks to the fact that, that that's one way of addressing it is you get, you know, supposedly you maybe get the best of both worlds. You get some of that, you get a head start, you get some nitrogen applied in, in, in the fall, 
but then you can finish off in the spring of the year. And in the past, at least, anhydrous ammonia in the fall has been a cheaper source of nitrogen. We'll have to see what uh, the future provides here as well. So that's, that's very, very, uh, very interesting, Jeff. And that maybe answers the question why more and more people are looking at making some in-season applications of nitrogen cell. Um, mm -hmm. But Ashley... Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I would, I would ask then as you're constructing your trials, Jeff, what you seek to achieve for your optimal timing of in-season nitrogen applications, and then what you would guide our farmers to be the optimal timing of, of side dress applications. Yeah. So the first part, Ashley, I, I tried to encourage growers to, to think about more spring applications especially ones that are here in South Central Minnesota that traditionally have put on all their end in the fall. You know, I, I asked them, you know, can you shift a quarter of your acres or a third of your acres to some spring application? And I know that's not necessarily what they want to do from a cost factor or from a logistics factor, but it, it helps, you know, minimize the risk. Now, when I talk to retailers, as Jay mentioned and highlighted that this, kind of two-thirds or a reduced rate of ammonia in the fall with the rest followed up in the spring, either at planting, pre-plant, or as a side dress. I, the retailers tell me that that's what they try to encourage growers to do and that there is some buy-in in that, in reducing that fall ammonia rate, um, but recognizing that at least then they have some end out and they can go ahead and plant and they don't have to worry about worrying about spring applications of end prior to planting. Now, repeat the second part of your question again, Ashley. Oh, the timing. It, yeah, it, from a growth stage perspective, if we're we're putting on a, you know, it'll vary by operation, but let's say we're putting on 25% of our nitrogen up to 50% in season at that side dress application, what growth stage would you try to target? Yeah, so Fabian did a great study on that when he first came here to the U or to Minnesota and we went across the state and looked at that. And it, it depends a little bit about soil types, obviously. So the coarse textured soils, you want to delay that uh, side dress application as long as possible, or maybe make two side dress applications. But on the medium and fine textured soils, when you get in the drier parts of the western part of the state, you want to start those side dress applications at V2 and get them done by V6. And when you get in the wetter parts of the south central and southeastern, you can start whenever you feel like starting, maybe as V4. But really, there's not a big advantage to waiting much later than V8. There just really is. It's it's interesting, Jeff, to hear you answer that question because a lot of times, what I what what I share with, with farmers when they ask me that question about timing is, a lot of times I'll tell, them, okay, don't get too cute. It, it mm. seems like so oftentimes people wait till okay. The old thought was we're going to wait right till the last minute, right till lay by, we're about to close canopy, and then we're going to side dress the end. And then you know, I always share, it's like, guys, well, there's, there's two things that can happen and they both happen to happen to do with rain. Either it's going to rain like a son of a gun, like we just had yesterday and you get a three to five inch shot of rain and now you're out for some, some amount of time, or it decides it's just going to stop raining mm -hmm. and, and you're, you're not going to get the, the full benefit. And then I always say, whenever you're going in, you already gained that many weeks of efficiency over had it all been a pre-plan application. Correct. Um, and, yeah. and, and Jeff, it's interesting, you know, I, I, you know, I had to go back to your comment though, about, you know, maybe you take a third to fourth of your acres 
uh, with spring nitrogen, you know, that's kind of a bold statement in a year like this year where we had a hard time getting that crop in the ground. And now you're telling guys, well, you know, let's leave some of that fertilizer to the spring. But as you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, yeah, Mr. Farmer, that's what you're going to say to me. And, and yet I, I think the counter would be the practical application would be, yeah, but you've got some better drain fields. Okay. You, you, you better drain soils, maybe even some of these coarse textured soils where you're not going to want to put that anon in the fall anyhow. And so it is something that you can definitely make, uh, make work out. And, you know, uh, Jeff, as we talk about that timing of that, um, that side dress application, you know, the, the way I look at it a lot of times as well is the fact that, um, you know, probably prioritize those corn on corn fields for getting that, that first application. And, and I don't know your thoughts, Jeff, but, you know, as it pertains to those fall applications of say anhydrous ammonia, you know, with corn on corn, I always like to have a certain amount of shallow placed in early on. Uh, so we're not, you know, we're, we're not suffering from that carbon penalty or that immobilized end before we get in there and side dress. Any, any thoughts on, on that as far as managing corn on corn, maybe a little bit differently? Yeah, I agree, Jay. Um, another thing I would say about, uh, about corn on corn is if you are planning on side dressing, you know, there's always this kind of two modes of side dress or top dress fertilizing. And one is the guys that uh, put on a small amount at planting and put the majority on at side dress and then you see probably what's more common is the opposite where they're going to put the majority on up front or sometime earlier and then a side dress a smaller amount so in that regard the the corn on corn uh scenario yeah getting some that's in that shallower zone so you don't have it all too deep or or all positionally unavailable for those early plants because those early roots just don't grow very well maybe putting a little starter in if, if possible, and corn on corn is a great situation, is a certainly a good helper and gets over that hump. And banding, of course, helps that as well. But and what I wouldn't do is in corn on corn is put a small amount of in and then wait and do a late side dress. That's just, that's like a worst case scenario. So a lot of times I say, you know, maybe a 50 50, 50% 50 up front, 50% at side dress would be the max I would do in corn on corn. In corn after beans, it's a lot more. Uh, you have a lot more leeway. You can do pretty much anything and make it work most years. Right. Yeah. You have the benefit of some of that residual uh, in from that, that soybean crop. Um, you bet. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, you know, Jeff, a, a discussion about nitrogen, especially in-season nitrogen applications wouldn't be complete without a, a discussion about nitrogen stabilizers. Okay. And, and so maybe kind of share with us, differentiate the different type of stabilizers okay and and then how you might you know how and when you might consider um using them and 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 let me lead off first and then and you can follow in with the additional sources but you know here at most when we're looking at those top dress urea application okay um you know what should people be looking should or shouldn't they be using a a stabilizer and then help differentiate between the different types of stabilizers there are if you can quickly jeff yeah, so a stabilizer looking at uh, for urease inhibitor, which would be uh, products that uh, reduce the potential for volatilization while that product lays on the soil surface. That is a definite yes, especially for urea top dress. I mean, it's a no brainer. The nice thing about those products is they're generally applied 
as a rate per ton of urea. So if you're top dressing a modest amount of N, like 100 pounds of product as urea or 46 pounds of N, you're not going to pay a whole lot for that for that urease inhibitor. So that those are the ones that are the most important when you're looking at top dress applications. Now, if you're injecting like a UAN stream, then maybe it's not that a critical. But boy, I don't see too many in-season applications, Jay or Ashley, that are made these days that are injected or, or incorporated anymore. That just doesn't happen. So a nitrification inhibitor with a side dress or top dress application, I just don't see the value. Um, if you're putting it on or if you're talking about nitrification inhibitors, products that uh, slow the slow the nitrification process or the conversion of ammonium N to nitrate N, those are valuable with fall applications, anhydrous ammonia, manure, but with spring or split applications, it's hard to, I just don't see enough data in the Midwest to justify their the value from a from a cost standpoint. It doesn't mean that it can't benefit occasionally, but it's probably not going to give a consistent return on investment. So so Jeff, uh, just to, to clarify a, a little bit more though, so uh, so nitrification inhibitors here, and, and even if we look at um, those extremes, so either that coarse textured soil, that really coarse textured soil, or that extremely poorly drained soil that's maybe particularly prone to some potential denitrification losses, uh, e even then, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or, or guide your answer, but, but just those are the two thoughts I have. Yeah, I think, Jay, when you think about a split application, you know, if you're out there at V4 or V6, I mean, how much longer are you really going to protect it for? Or is it necessary to protect it for? You're getting close to that rapid growth phase um, where the crop's going to take up a lot of end in the next three or four weeks. And, you know, that I, I, you probably just don't need to, to protect it for much longer. And then the other thing is the, the effect. And I, I haven't seen enough efficacy trials of these products, all the products to compare them, but you know what, really warm, moist temperatures in the spring, summer, you know, how long are they really going to last and be effective too? Fair enough, fair enough. Good, good, good information, Jeff. Good information. And uh, tell us as far as your preferred source of, of in-season nitrogen. Is it UAN? Is it urea? Is it anhydrous ammonia? What do you what do you think there, Jeff? I you know I I got an opinion, but we asked you as a guest, so I'm kind of curious to hear what your thoughts are. So again, I'd, I'd ask the grower, when do you have equipment to apply, so you don't have to go buy something? And then you know, obviously, um, the cost of the fertilizer is a factor. You know, we know we're going to pay more for some end sources than others. So putting those two things in in combination or thought, my first preference would be ammonia, but most likely most growers are not going to have the equipment and most retailers don't have the equipment to do that anymore. I only know one person and I know Jay, you know who that is and he lives in South Central Minnesota and works for Pioneer. <laughs> He's the only person I know that does that. Um, so if not that, the next one would be top dress urea with, with NBPT or a urease inhibitor. And the reason I like that is because it's fast. You have less tons of product, and generally it's the least expensive of your options after ammonia. And then if I was going to do the next best choice would be UAN, 32%, but stream injected. 
I've done enough studies here over the years to show that that's far superior than leaving it on the surface. But I know that a lot of growers don't have that equipment either, but a few do. And there is some of it available. It's just a little bit slower to operate. And then after that, you know, UAN or surface dribbled or, or something like that is probably the next best bet. And, and urea without a urease inhibitor on, on in our area, I wouldn't recommend that unless it's rain is coming later that same day. Okay, that's uh, and that's good to hear. You know, one of the one of the things I always think, um, Jeff and I maybe guide things a little bit in recommendations with growers. And again, it doesn't take a whole lot of convincing uh, or arm twisting to convince people not to go with uh, in season uh, side dress nitrogen. I, I keep thinking a situation where a guy has a base of some manure down. And I keep thinking, okay, in, 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 a, in a situation like that, or even corn on corn, do we want to have as much nitrogen available to the crop right away as possible? So does that lean a person towards urea or, you know, because how long before the anhydrous ammonia is go, going to, to nitrify and become available to the crop? I guess that's the question. And maybe, maybe I've just been overly concerned about how long that that might take to occur. Well, we have to remember, Jay, that the, the corn plant can use uh, or take up nitrogen as ammonium as well as, as nitrate. So it doesn't necessarily have to convert. Um, obviously, it's got to convert from ammonia to ammonium, but in warm, moist soils in, in the summertime or spring, that's not going to take very long. So I wouldn't worry about that. Um, and the, the band is probably a good thing. In corn on corn, it might be a bit more challenging to side dress, uh, you know, just from from all the residue out there, but that's uh, that's just managing corn on corn and growers that plant a lot of corn on corn, they just deal with it. So I don't know if that answered your question very well, but no, no, I think I, I think you're, so. Really, I think I think what what you're what what you're sharing with me is that 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 process of the conversion of anhydrous ammonia this time of year happens rapidly enough that I'm probably overthinking it. Is mm -hmm. <laughs> really what I is what I hear you saying it and. Uh, so, so Jeff, you know, we, we talked early on and I, and I always, I always pride myself on trying to think ahead. Okay. What's going to be the next thing that farmers are going to have to deal with. And yesterday, as I was out driving through Northern Waseca County into Steele County, and, and I didn't make a huge long road trip, but I saw a lot of ponding, a lot of saturated soils after this rainfall event, there's a number of guys that have, you know, all of their nitrogen on already. And, and now that corn's probably gonna look a little bit yellow for a week or two. You know, what's your guidance for, for folks as far as maybe kind of a, a rescue application of uh, so, some additional nitrogen in spots like that? How do they assess it? And then, you know, when do you pull the plug and say, okay, you know what, we're the third week of July, now, just forget it. You're not going to gain anything. Or at what point in time do you pull the plug and say, no, supplemental N isn't going to do anything. So that's a lot of rapid fire questions at once, Jeff, but that's everything that's on my mind. Kind of fueled by those couple cups of coffee I had already this morning. <laughs> yeah. So I think the first thing is, is that I wouldn't overreact to one heavy thunderstorm or rainstorm. You know, uh, the, the data are fairly, some research data has shown that you can lose 10 maybe as much as 20% of your N by denitrification if wet or if 
heavier soils stay wet for four days, consecutive days of saturation. Um, but that's four days, you know. So what really is important is, is it gonna rain again a lot on Wednesday? Because that could be a problem. Now you're getting to that fourth, fifth, sixth day possibly in some of these fields. And then maybe you have with really warm soils, which we have now with the heat, you maybe could lose 20% and you might need to think about supplemental or, or rescue application. If our tile systems, which are pretty effective, drain these fields out in the next, in 24 to 48 hours, I wouldn't get too concerned about it because what this moisture and heat brings is mineralization too. And that kicks in and boy, that can make up for a deficit that we had all spring when it was cold and it just never, we couldn't get any mineralization. And of course, the moisture condition after this, you know, what's the rest of the month going to bring? It sounds like it's going to be hot and dry. So maybe putting on a rescue and then it turns hot and dry for a week or two probably isn't going to be a big advantage, especially if it's top dressed urea. Because I am an advocate about urease inhibitors, but when you put it out there and it's 95 degrees and it doesn't rain for a week, you still get volatilization. They don't last forever and they are not perfect. And I've seen that in a few fields where we did split applications where it just didn't rain last year. It was a it was a mess. And we had a lot of that top dressed end that just was lost in the to volatilization. So so Jeff, so let's say, okay, so you know, don't push the panic button here. You know, Correct. if it's only damp for 24, 48 hours, you probably don't have much risk of loss. So let's fast forward. So we had these spots in the field. Now we're, you know, we're, we're about ready to shoot tassels in a week. Um, and those spots are still looking yellow. Um, is it realistic to, to try put something on and, and salvage the crop? Or you need to say, well, it's been good to know you. We're done throwing money at this year's crop. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, one of the questions that we talked about earlier was was timing and, and what's the latest timing you can go. And if it's a rescue situation, I don't have a problem with pushing that late button. You know, it can go pretty late. Uh, maybe even probably B14 is probably ideal, but R1, R2, if absolutely necessary. But, you know, you Peter Scarf showed this in, in his trials across the state, but it has to be a situation where you really feel you've got, you know, obvious deficiencies and you can see it in a, you see it in an aerial photo, you can see it in uh, in an NDVI or something like that, where you know you, you need a rescue application. And then hitting those spots, it's probably going to give a return on investment even that late. And then maybe that's a case where something like Y drops might be advantageous because you get it a little closer and maybe it doesn't take as much moisture to, to activate it. But uh, um, so those, that's kind of my thought, um, in that regard, but we're, you know, we're still a long ways away from, from the panic button as far as rescues yet. I, I would still, uh, just keep, keep scouting my fields and be patient. This might lead well, uh, into, a another question that we had getting close to the, the end of our thoughts as we talk about infield variability and managing infield variability or our areas of the field that are prone to poor drainage or coarse textured soils within a field. Um, typically we aren't 
gifted with a field that's completely uniform in its soil characteristics. And, and so managing those is really important, particularly as it applies to nitrogen. And one of the tools that, that we've been looking at, and, and there's many on the market, um, we have one of our own uh, called granular is, um, you know, a nitrogen model to help take into considerations variables on a, a given farm, but also weather variables, uh, management factors. So can you tell us what your thoughts are on the use of models in terms of uh, managing nitrogen decisions? Yeah, Ashley. So first of all, I, I probably have to be honest and say that I have kind of minimal experience with them. I think they're a tool. I think personally that they're getting better all the time. Um, I think that they the people that work with them recognize some of their early shortfalls and have improved them. Um, I wouldn't use it as the only thing to make a decision, but I think as a tool, if the cost is not too astronomical to use it, I think it does help guide it. And maybe it is, as you suggested, a good guide for making variable rate applications or adjusting certain you know, end rates or timings in in air, in fields that are highly variable. Oh, wonderful! I've I've enjoyed working with our tool, and particularly in writing variable rate scripts for operations that apply in season nitrogen and historically had flat rated that. That's that's been very rewarding for me to try to better optimize. You know, we think of the three R's and fertility, the, mm -hmm. the right rate in the right place. Uh, so I, I've really enjoyed getting to know um, our, our particular model and, and working with that. So thank you for that. So I am charged with summarizing this conversation, which feels like a very, <laughs> a very lofty task. So Jay, I'm gonna take a stab and then you fill in my gap. So my first note that that I appreciated in the conversation um, was we were talking about who, who should side dress or, or what, what, what type of conversations we have with our farmers about side dressing. And Jeff, you mentioned one of the first things is the discussion of logistics. Does the operation have time, the equipment? And then you listed um, a series of questions that you pose to farmers to help them make that decision, You know, starting with the, do you have time? Do you have coarse textured soils? Um, which would most benefit from that spoon feeding of nitrogen. Um, are you currently all fall applied nitrogen? Do you have areas of poor drainage on the farm? And then um, you listed that, you know, the more questions you answer, the more likely you are to have a return of that split application. So I really enjoyed, really enjoyed that way of looking at um, in-season nitrogen use. And then you mentioned in terms of stabilization, if we're top dressing urea, having a urease inhibitor is, is a little bit of a no brainer for protecting that nitrogen investment from volatilization. Um, so I, I appreciated that as well, but then that it's not a, an end all be all. If we, if we don't get an incorporating rain over a, a duration of time that, that will not, will not keep us from losing that nitrogen. Um, so pairing a urease inhibitor with a, then a, a well-timed application is beneficial. I also really appreciated your comments on that that product rate is per product uh, or per the amount of urea, which makes it affordable, more affordable, particularly if you're putting on a, a reduced rate that you can protect that nitrogen um, without spending the, the full boat of what might be in other applications of, of soil treatment. So this is a product treatment. Um, so I, I enjoyed those comments. And then 
know, this is pretty real time for us as we talk about, Jay mentioned he was driving and saw those standing, um, that standing water there along Highway 14 from that rain we had yesterday. And so your comments on denitrification um, are very timely. And you mentioned um, that over a period of four days in, in heavy soils that are saturated, that we can see up to 20% uh, loss of, of the nitrogen in that soil and I, I thought that was, that was very, very timely. And I also appreciated your thoughts on how much uh, mineralization we can get then subsequent to that with the heat and moisture that we'll have in the, in the subsequent weeks. And, and we saw that last year, we, we were really dry in June as you, as you have uh, commented on, and then we had a lot of heat and the mineralization that we have, we, we showed that in our models as well as we were looking at predicting amounts of nitrogen needed for side dress applications. We, we saw that uptick in mineralization contributing to the, the nitrogen available. So I really appreciated those comments. Um, Jay, I'm sure I missed something. Uh, anything that you would fill in? You know, Ashley, I think you did a great job of, of summarizing it. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, other than, other than Pioneer Seed, go for football. Uh, nitrogen and nitrogen management is one of my favorite favorite uh, topics of conversation. So I probably should get a life, at least on the nitrogen management side of things. I should maybe get a life. But uh, gosh, no, Jeff. I uh, you know the beauty of doing a podcast is we get to ask folks questions. We get asked a lot, and, and we learn a ton. So so Jeff, I really appreciate your joining us today. Um, any, any last comments that you want to make before uh, Ashley closes out the show here for us today? No, I, uh, I appreciate the comments and uh, the discussion, and I thought Ashley's summary was spot on, and it, those are the key points, and, and I think growers just, nitrogen management, we always joke as scientists that uh, it, uh, it's always an issue. Every year, there's something new, there's something to talk about, and maybe it's not new, it's the same thing, but we, are, we never run out of questions, and we never run out of work, so that's perfect thank you so much Jeff we so appreciate you taking time and being on and sharing your experiences with us uh this has been episode 14 of your field is our office listeners you can find me on twitter at ashley storby you can find jay on twitter at seed zeke and Jeff I think we would direct listeners if they would if they would like to get a hold of you um or learn more information about the work that's being done at the Southern Research and Outreach Center, uh, there's a great website uh, that we will link in the show notes. And then also, if you'd like to see more from uh, Jeff's work on Twitter, you can follow at SROC Crops on Twitter for, for more information. And you can join Jay and me on our next episode as we have a 30 to 60 30-day, 60-day, and 90-day weather update from meteorologist Kyle Shaughness. And yeah, we have a meteorologist, so we're really big time now. Thanks, we're, Jay, for, for doing we're that. We're working on that, Ashley. We're working on that. So yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Sorry to, sorry, sorry to interrupt here, too. So we, we may have some late-breaking news. We're, we're going to try to decide, or we're going to have the meteorologist, or we may have a discussion about corn rootworms. So mm. we got a little bit of time here. I got an email here while we were in the show here, so we might actually talk about corn rootworm management. And, and actually, you know, I'm really sorry to interrupt. But the other thing is, is I also wanted to plug for Jeff and the staff at the Southern Research and Outreach Center that next Tuesday is uh, uh, the summer crop day, a summer crop tour at, at uh, Southern Research and Outreach Center in, in Waseca. So hopefully folks will be able to uh, be there. Uh, I'm going to be playing hooky. I'm going to be goofing off uh, 
fishing up in Canada. So uh, anyhow, Ashley, but why don't you totally wrap up the show? Well, sorry to interrupt you, but finish it off. No worries. Enjoy enjoy the fishing, Jay. Really good. And yes, yeah, so next Tuesday, the 21st, is the crop stay there at Wasika. So we'll um, look for more information on, on that if you would like to attend. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 14 of Your Field is Our Office. Be safe and stay healthy.